Hello, you're listening to the Sunday Shoujins podcast. I'm Paul. And I'm Maureen. Coming up on today's episode, we'll be chatting with Jennifer Ashley Tepper about her book, The Untold Stories of Broadway, Volume 4. And we'll also be chatting with the cast, the entire cast of Fiverr the Musical. Fiverr played to pack houses in 2019 and a concert version is now streaming online until the 16th of May. It was nominated for the What's On Stage Award for Best Off West End Musical and has three West End Wilma Award nominations. It won Best Performer in Office in off West End show for Luke Bayer. We are very thrilled that all five of the cast of Fiverr are here with us in our biggest ever online interview. It's like a it's like a world exclusive for us. <laughs> hey folks, how are you? Yeah, good. So good to be here. <laughs> Just for the benefit of our listeners, can you quickly go around and introduce yourself so they can kind of identify names and voices? Yeah, of course. I'm Alex, Alex James Ellison, and I wrote the show and was in it with these guys. Uh, I'm Dan Buckley and I was also in it and yeah, glad to be here. I'm Aoife Clasham. I did not write the show, but I was in it. Which was <laughs> <laughs> I'm Heva Al-Sheik and I was also in the show. I'm Luke Bayer and I was also in the show. <laughs> So it sounds a bit like the beginning of a, a game show, doesn't it? Yes. <laughs> now, who's in the centre square? <laughs> so, Alex, tell us a little bit about Fiverr and how it came about. So Fiverr is a musical which follows the story of a £5 note. So we use the kind of uh, literal £5 note to link all these characters together. And everybody who has the £5 note, you meet and you get to share. They share a little bit of their story with you. Um, and then it moves on to the next person. So you meet all the different kinds of people. You see how they relate to a five pound note, whether they think it's a lot of money, like a busker or a homeless person, or some people just see it as a bit of lunch money for their kid for their lunches. Um, so everyone you meet has a different story to tell. And uh, yeah, you go on this journey, uh, which is split up by the interval where 15 years passes. And then so you get the kind of you get to see one of the stories grown up by 15 years in the second half. Uh, it's really about human interactions and connections and feeling part of a community and feeling, uh, yeah, it's narrated by my character, which is the busker. And uh, I kind of get to comment on all these different things that I see when I spend my time on the streets. Brilliant. I love it. Now, Dan, the show has grown a huge, huge fan base. Um, what do you think the appeal is? Uh, I think it's that it's, okay, so song cycles themselves are really easy to tap into. Um, and this is particularly clever because they have that strong through line of the five pound note. And then also there's uh, other little nuances and little extra layers in there that um, come to light in uh, the second act. And um, I think it's contemporary, it's British, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's got such amazing music and I think it just cries out for, it, there's so many emotions as well in it. Like it's, some of it's really funny. Some of it's uplifting. There's power songs, there's ballad. It literally has everything, but not in an overwhelming kind of squeeze it all in just to try and get all these themes and all these, you know, it's very nuanced and it's, um, it takes you on a really good journey. And I think that's why the audience is related. And so many people kept coming back and, just through mm -hmm. word of mouth, it just grew and grew. And um, it was packed, you know, from literally the end of the first week to the end of the run, it was packed. Um, and it was, yeah, I think 
it's just it, everything about it is just perfect in my opinion but then i'm in it and uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's a wonderful wonderful friend and um alex um and tom who both you know created it are you know exceptionally talented at what they do and um yeah and we all brought it together you know for this little playhouse and i think we worked as a five on stage as well and that that also helped a lot of people have commented on us as a, a, a as a as a quintet um mm-hmm. so so as well and that i think it just all worked it was like a recipe for success in that respect and yeah it's a total pleasure and i would have to say i just i love that it's a new british musical yes. you know i just love it yeah that, that's something i've always championed um since I started my career and I will always champion it and something I always managed to squeeze in at some point. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> doing that for me, but yeah, new British musicals all the way. Yeah. So you had your sold out run at the Southern Playhouse in 2019. And then it, it, anyone who's friends with any of the cast on social media will have seen the so sort of the, the, the rolling stone that was gathering definitely no moss as it was plowing forward. And then there was a, oh, we might do a live stream concert for it. Aoife, what was it like returning to the show to do the live stream concert? Oh my God, incredible. Also, thank you for pronouncing my name correctly. Kudos <laughs> <laughs> for that, seriously. <laughs> absolutely amazing. I mean, it was obviously very different. And as you, as Dan said, the five of us are very close. We get along very well. The urge to hug each other was so real. Um, <laughs> we really did follow all rules because we wanted this to go ahead. Um, it was very different, obviously. I think for anybody who hadn't seen it before, you were missing maybe gaps in storyline. But I actually think that the reception was amazing because because we were able to just focus on the music and the sound, we had no issues with anybody being lost or misheard. The harmonies were able to come through in full force and people really got to really, these, mm. these guys have written a gorgeous score. Mm-hmm. And it was, I think this was the best way to hear it. And also I think that's why this has worked so well in the cast recording because it did come across so well. It was amazing. And it was also incredible to see the huge support that we were getting. You know, you sell one ticket for the stream, that could be 10 people watching Mm -hmm. one family a house. So we had so many people supporting it. It was truly amazing. And I mean, I remember one night, Heba and Luke singing, As Long As I Have You. And I was turning to Dan, I was in floods of tears, just hoping (laughs) the camera wasn't on me. I was going, am I okay? Am I okay? It was so emotional to be back and just to see the pure love from everybody. I mean, you guys saw us, but you didn't see the other side, which was the amazing film crew, was the amazing band. Everybody in it was just so overcome with happiness and joy to be there. So it was just beautiful. Mm. Unbelievable. What I love about it is the love that you guys all share for each other. And it definitely comes across in the piece. And Hiva, I would love to know, um, the cast recording, hello, has made it to number one on the iTunes sound track charts. Hello, people. Woo, woo. Yes. Okay, so Hiva, what is it like to be on a number one album um i well i just want to know when the grammy nominations are coming through because (laughs) (laughs) yes please i'm I'm waiting for it to happen um no but seriously that i feel like that was a pinch me moment for everyone like i think all of us just were none when we all decided that we were going to be a part of fiverr 
none of us expected kind of the journey that it's been on at all. I don't think, and I think I can speak on behalf of everyone where it was just something that we all just loved loved and wanted to be a part of, but everything that has happened as a result has kind of been a bonus and none of us thought that was going to happen. So the audience response to the Southwark Playhouse run was overwhelming and we were all just kind of shocked at that. And then obviously it was trending on Twitter and every the response when we did the concert was overwhelming as well. And then going to number one on the soundtrack charts above Hamilton and The Greatest Showman and, you know, this little show with five of us and Alex and Tom writing the, the songs and us rehearsing for six days in Dance Attic in West London suddenly is number one on on the iTunes chart. So I think all of us were just a bit uh, emotional by it, like moved by the response. And like Dan said, there truly is something in it for everyone. And I feel like people connect to this show to this album on so many different levels and you don't unlike some other soundtracks you don't need to listen to the entire soundtrack to know you know every single song in this in this show has its own story you can listen to it in isolation and it's a a Mm -hmm. great song in its own right you know so i think that's kind of a thing with the album as well that i think personally why it's done so well is that you can stream it you can download it you can and listen to just a couple of songs every time or the whole thing and and be there like you're at the southwark playhouse but yeah so we were we were very very overwhelmed by the response to the to the album and and the being number one but basically just can't wait for the grammy nominations really (laughs) (laughs) needs to happen doesn't it it does (laughs) it does need to happen I could kind of ask this question to everybody, but I'm going to ask it to Luke. If you only had one fiver left, what would you spend it on? Oh, um, <laughs> a box of sweets. What's what particular sweets? Oh, fab. Um, um, maybe those like raspberry laces things. Literally, I've, I, we've in my house we've had like a box a week, like the full like box. So that's quite unhealthy, but they're actually more than a fiver. So I'd have to like barter with the suppliers and be like, can I have half a box for a fiver? <laughs> can but I just say, what... the reason Luke says this is because he knows that people listen to it and then send him presents of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, because he's of an influencer. Stuff, yeah. We got loads of free stuff. We got that jelly. I've we? never, I've never been sent those sweets. I've never been sent those sweets. So if you're listening and you fancy sending some over, <laughs> feel free. <laughs> People are very fond of saying, "Yeah, we'll send you that," and it's like it's never come. You don't want to ask. You don't want to message yeah. them back and go, "Well, you did say you were going to send this," because it makes you seem a bit tight. But yeah. just don't, don't offer. So. A- what I think is important for our listeners who haven't didn't go to see the show at Southwark to appreciate is the fact that it wasn't even in the the, the, the large space, which is quite small at the Southwark. It was in, in the small space, wasn't it? How many seats was that? I think it's about 120 seats. Which is like nothing, is it? Yeah, it's very intimate, but I think it did suit the show nicely. I mean, I think we could do the large at Southwark. I think both the spaces there are quite intimate. And when we're doing a whole kind of idea of busking, that's what you get if you're busking Covent Garden. You have people right next to you, around you, don't you? So it's that. Or kind the of... Palladium, Alex. Really. Yeah, yeah. It, it's going to be. It'll be very, very different. At the Palladium. Yeah, yeah. Palladium. Well, well, Alex, you just you just brought that up. You you did allude there that when we do, is there going to be another actual live production of Fiverr? Exactly. I mean, come on, we need to know. Point, 
<laughs> All the cast are looking at me very intently. Um, at the, I mean, we at could ask now. now. We could ask, guys, have you got anything else on it in the foreseeable future? Is there any reason we couldn't get this sorted? <laughs> well, this is exactly it. The, re the, the reason that there is no future production announced is because everything in the future is so unclear. Me and Tom would absolutely love another production to go on as soon as we can, really. Um, it's just about when stuff opens up. I think it's going to take a while for theatre to be accepting kind of newer shows back in mm -hmm. again. I reckon they'll start off with all the big yeah. ones which are going to make the money and definitely sell out and all the tourists and stuff. And then eventually it'll get through to us. That but being I said, there's, there's, only, there's only five <laughs> of us in the cast. So one, one, be, one cast member cheaper than six. And in fairness, <laughs> Luke will probably do it for a box of strawberry laces. <laughs> you know, it, the black Space current it. ones, the, stra the strawberry ones, maybe not. The black current ones, definitely. There you go. That's sorted. <laughs> we we've got a track that we're going to share. Alex, could you give us a little introduction to it, please? Yeah. So this next song you're going to be listening to is called "For Your Light to Shine," and the reason we chose this song to play is because it features everybody in the cast. We thought it'd be a nice one to kind of uh, give you a feel for the musical. So enjoy. Alex, Hibber, Luke, Dan, and Aoife, thank you so much for joining us this thank afternoon. You guys. Thank you guys. So thank you. Thank, thank you. you. When the lost leaf falls, will you hear my voice? When the last bird Yeah. 
Luke Bayer, Dan Buckley, Aoife Klesham, Hibbert El Sheik and Alex James Ellison singing For Your Light to Shine from the original cast recording of Five of the Musical. Music and lyrics there by Alex James Ellison and Tom Lees. And before that, we were chatting with the five of the cast of Five of Themselves. <laughs> we were. And Fiverr is streaming until the 16th of May. Just head over to the Southwark Playhouse website. Yeah, they were fab. Such a fun interview. And if you want to find out more about Fiverr the Musical itself, head over to fiverrthemusical.co.uk. Coming up after the break, oh, this is one of my favorite things. We, we will be having Paul's Made in Britain. We'll be back after this. Opening nights to closing nights, secret passageways to ghostly encounters, Broadway debuts to landmark productions, the untold stories of Broadway from Jennifer Ashley Tepper tells the stories about the most important stages in the world seen through the eyes of the people who bring the great white way to life each night. This is the fourth book in a multi-volume series that tells the stories of all of the Broadway theatres. We are beyond excited that Jennifer is back here at Sunday Show. She's, Hi honey, how are you? I'm good. I'm excited to be back. Thank you for having me. Well, can you believe it? The last time we talk, talked about this was was the, the, before it became volumes numbers. It was just the untold stories of Broadway. Um, I can't. I'm amazed that you're you're still researching and still uncovering stories. I mean, kind of not amazed is the wrong word, but there's so much to to see here and to document. What was the biggest surprise you found whilst researching a volume four? Yeah, you know, we always from the beginning intended there to be six volumes because each volume explores seven Broadway houses and one lost Broadway theater. So Mm -hmm. in order to get to all 41 theaters, it was there, you know, there'll be six volumes. I think what we didn't expect was that, you know, volumes one, two, and three came out pretty quickly in quick succession. And then volume four, because I got busy doing things like producing Be More Chill, um, it was a couple years. And then when the pandemic happened, one of the silver linings was having time to really write volume four, which to answer your question, um, you know, researching and writing and editing during this time brought up a lot of surprising things because there were just so many parallels to things we're going through in the theater community right now that one wouldn't expect you know it was everything from discovering um you know certain like sexist reviews that happened in like women's history in broadway mm-hmm. and that reflected mm-hmm. the movements going on to um you know things like the 1918 pandemic and theater um to things like oh you know the advent of radio plays and how that kind of has some parallels to streaming so there were all these moments with various elements of everything from social justice to like art um that came up in this book that were surprising and parallel to right now mm. that is amazing I really love how, um, you know, finding those different parallels as you're doing the research and to current times. Okay, but I have to say, one of our favorite things is, and this is so, you know, (laughs) blase, but we love the ghostly encounters that you, you know, discover. Are there any in this book? Oh, definitely. You know, one of the theaters featured in this book is Studio 54, which we all know has a lot of lore about it. Oh, and that is such a great space, isn't it? it? It just feels a bit battered when you're in there. Yes. (laughs) Um, The crazy thing, though, is that, you know, I've uncovered definitely the ghostly encounters of it all. But, um, you know, we know it as like the legendary laser disco. But that theater actually did open as a Broadway house. It was an opera house. It was a TV Mm -hmm. studio where they filmed like 
what's my line and password. It was actually like a nightclub in the thirties where um, they had like restaurant kind of nightclub hybrid and like naked women danced in fishbowls. So when people talk about seeing ghosts at Studio 54, it's not just like the disco revelers. It's also like, you know, there were um, during the Great Depression, there were a lot of shows of the Federal Theater Project there. It's like endless how many things um, kind of came up where when people talk about kind of feeling the ghosts in the walls at Studio 54, there's a lot of different kinds of ghosts. <laughs> I love it. Do you ever get creeped out? No, you know, I never do. And I have to say, like, I've never really personally seen a ghost. I really hope to see the ghost at the Belasco in the blue dress. And anyone who's read my books knows what I'm talking about. She's very famous, but I've never felt like the creeps. Oh, you so said I do love a good ghost town. <laughs> I think the first time we, we chatted to you, we said when we were in Broadway, we were going to hook up and you were going to take us to some of these creepy places and it never <laughs> happened. So next time, and we, we are praying to get back very soon. Uh, I mean, yeah. fingers crossed. Next time we need a ghost tour. You know, yeah. that's what we need. We need to go to some creepy places. <laughs> it's so nice to be in any theater again. I can't even tell you. I mean, of course, it'll be so exciting. How do you go about researching the book? So do you... Do, do you reach out to people? Do, you, do people come to you? How do you go about that? When I first started the book series, I thought, okay, like I want to start each story of each theater as far back in history as possible. So how do I interview, you know, the oldest possible theater professionals who can bring me, you know, to the 40s. And so what was fascinating was in kind of researching and doing that starting in 2013, um, I interviewed like a number of folks who sadly are no longer with us, but the project has become more of a legacy project in that way, where doing the research in order to dig as far back as possible has meant kind of um, making sure to get, you know, have time with older interviewees. Mm -hmm. Like that. So that's a big part of it. Um, as far as the actual research that goes into not just the interviews, but all of the essays and stories that I write in between, um, it's a lot of the library, which obviously was not possible in person this time. It's a lot of books. It's a lot of newspapers. It's a lot of just like digging into, um, you know, asking people questions. Um, and it's a lot of like, just kind of fusing everything that I know together. There was so much mm -hmm. with this volume of like, oh, I can't go to the Jacobs Theater right now. But I remember in 2008, that seat was where that happened. And mm -hmm. now reading this article, I can connect it to that. So it's a combination of like research and brain power in that way. But it's, it's also, I mean, it's really a lot of newspapers and books. <laughs> <laughs> now, going back to where you said, um, you know, interviewing a lot, interviewing a lot of people and that, um, you know, if you could talk to anyone who is no longer with us, who would that be? It's a great question. Um, you know, I do have many that I dream of, but I really wish I'd gotten the chance to interview Mary Rogers. Um, mm -hmm. I about that quite a bit because um, there are a couple people, her included, where um, we kind of emailed and, you know, I was like, I would love to interview for this book. And she was like, I would love to. I, you know, have some stuff going on right now. Maybe at some point, you know, it was the kind of thing where we were briefly in touch about it. It never happened. And sadly, she passed away. And um, I've always just been like, oh, God, what I would do to sit with Mary Rogers. Mm -hmm. uh Actually, you know, during this time, the last time a book came out, I think there were three interviewees who had passed away. And at the time that this book was published, now there are 13. So um, just, you know, it's it's knowing that, like, obviously, you know, the more out the mortality of it all and like having that sense of history. It's like it's very different than when I started writing these books of understanding that, like, at some point, you know, there will be more people, sadly, that their stories are in this and they're not here. So it, it just gives me a different sense of responsibility with capturing everything. 
Sure. I think that's it's so important what you said there, the, the sense of responsibility, because if you're not doing it, who is doing it? And in, in the current society we live in, everything's so transient. It's out there. It's on the Internet. It's on Google. It's on Wikipedia and stuff. But it, it, it it's kind of all fleeting, that stuff. The very fact that you're collecting these into printed volumes and that th th it just feels so much more permanent. And the very fact that you are going out and getting well, these people. It's being archived, mm -hmm. you know, for for theater fans around the globe, mm. which is brilliant. And I think even when we're with Sunday show tunes, we look back on people we've been fortunate to chat with on our show and then they pass and you're like, oh, wow, I talked to that person. And they told me this. It must be such an exciting feeling for you to, to get them to, to tell you these stories that they may not have even thought of telling anyone else. Totally. And that's always one of my favorite things when I do interview someone who does a lot of interviews and we end up talking about a story that they haven't told a lot. And like that love that. Um, yeah, it, those magic words, isn't it? I've not told anyone this before. <laughs> and there's a little heart flutter, isn't there? You're like, <gasps> It's like one of my favorite things because, you know, I obviously like a gigantic fan of Hal Prince and like he was a hero of mine. And when I interviewed him and he told me a couple of things that I was like, I haven't read these in books. Um, it was the most exciting thing ever. And that always is. Um, but what you're saying is so true. I've definitely thought a lot about this time about the fact that like the actual book coming out is not different during this time, this pandemic. And so many things are different. So many things have had to take different forms, but books themselves have not changed. So just knowing that this will exist, um, you know, in 20 years, hopefully, like in that way is very um, cool to me that we're archiving it that way. Mm -hmm. And you've got another three, I'm rubbish at maths, another three <laughs> volumes left. Yeah, no, <laughs> volumes left there will eventually be six um so i've done you know two-thirds of the broadway theaters at this point to add some more wow. math um and you know add two more volumes so i haven't done the booth yet i haven't done the o'neill there's other theaters that i still have to get to and the crazy thing is though as far as the time capsule of it all you know i started doing interviews in 2013 but when i did an interview in 2013 about studio 54 it went in the studio 54 you know file and then it didn't get edited and published till now so a lot of the stories are not just like oh this is a story about 1960 it's like it's a story about 1960 it was told to me in 2013 and it's now being made into a book in 2021 so it like puts extra kind of like time continuum things on it, which is interesting. You must be the most organized person in the world for filing. <laughs> in some ways, yes. <laughs> so besides um, collecting the stories for, for the untold stories of Broadway, what else are, are you busy doing? You know, um, I honestly like it's such a crazy thing because we all in this pandemic are like I'm doing nothing and then you're like oh my god I'm doing everything um you know we're really hoping that at some point soon 54 below will be able to reopen so there's lots of like planning for the moment it's like safe and possible to reopen we'll be doing that um and honestly just like putting planting seeds for a lot of future theater things that you know mm -hmm. I think this era is going to be very very exciting um yeah just like working on planting those seeds for that that's great to hear Jennifer, thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. Oh, thank you. you. Stay safe, lovely. Take care. You too. Well, that's it for this episode. Next time, we'll be chatting with Broadway legend Chip Zion and West End star Nadim Naman about his brand new musical, Rumi. If you've enjoyed listening, don't forget to subscribe on your favorite listening platform. I'm Paul. And I'm Maureen. And you've been listening to the Sunday Show Tunes podcast. Thanks for joining us. Bye. Bye.